Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Cape Talk. Join the conversation on capetalk.co.za, on the app, and across the city on 567 AM. Yeah, boy, yes. Good morning. 25 minutes with Dr. Chris Smith, giving you all the scientific answers to everyday questions. Some of those questions, not so everyday. Chris, great to have you on the show as always. Oh, great to be here. And I'm, I'm already getting in the mood for the rugby. But are we allowed to mention that? For the next 25 uh, minutes. We are. So here's my questions. You know, who is going to win on Saturday and what sort of science would we be behind it? Well, it's a bit tense, isn't it? Someone phoned me up earlier in the week and said, what do you call a bunch of 15 unemployed blokes watching the rugby in the pub on Saturday? And, and the answer was the All Blacks, <laughs> which I thought was very, very good. Uh, the, the one thing you probably didn't know is that we've got a couple of sellouts in South Africa. Um, normally at Newlands when the All Blacks play the Springboks, these sellouts will normally be in the, in, 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 in the stadium and they'd be shouting for the All Blacks and booing the box. I wonder what they're doing these days. And they've been so quiet, they've said nothing. But anyway, let's move on to a real question, shall we? Um, and this one came through, and it says the following: If you are if you are out of remote control range for your car, why is it that if you hold the remote control to your head, it boosts the signal and unlocks the car, or even open your garage door, for example, and it's not causing any damage to the brain, apparently. I mean, what can you tell us about this? Is this a, a Harry Potter theory, or um, is there some science behind it? There's some there's some science behind this. The key is sending microwave signals to your car and the car is sensitive to those microwave signals and that triggers the unlock process. So anything that improves the reception by those signals by the car, of those signals by the car, is going to improve the range of the key. One simple solution is to make sure the key has the shortest possible line of sight between you and the car. So if you put the key in your pocket, round the back, behind your wallet with all your keys and other things next to it, it's not going to have as clear a line of sight as if you hold it high up and as the crow flies, there's a short direction down to the car. So raising the height of the key and then pressing the button is probably going to make the line of sight, the distance of the car, shorter. So that's going to have a positive effect. There's also, some people speculate, a role for using your own body as part of the antenna. So what happens if you press the key against yourself and then press the button? You're turning yourself into part of the antenna system so your body becomes an an aerial to help project those microwaves. And a further suggestion is that when you hold the key against a body part, certain parts of the body, your head being basically an encased space, there's bone around the outside and squidgy brain in the middle, you've got a cavity there which can act as a resonator and signals can be bounced backwards and forwards inside that resonator and amplify in the process. So there may be some science behind the idea of holding the key to your chest or your head, for example, because both of those hollow areas, relatively hollow, more hollow in some people's cases, will act as resonators (laughs) to help improve the signal. Um, 
it's probably not going to be a huge impact, but it might impre- increase the range by a couple of car lengths or so. Oh, is it? Well, our president, uh, former president Jacob Zuma, could apparently stand five kilometres away. I mean, yeah, if we're talking about that, and hold the key to his head, but not to his wallet, though. Absolutely, that's definitely not no, an empty no, resonator. No. <laughs> not at all. Now, here's another question for the naked scientist. And by the way, don't be shy. Chris doesn't bite unless you ask very nicely. Question here from Colleen. Someone shot a marble through my window, resulting in a bullet-shaped hole and a few cracks. What I can't understand is that the hole is smaller than the marble. How is it possible? And that's from Colleen. Hmm. I'm intrigued by that observation. Glass isn't absolutely rigid. It, it will bend. And it's possible that the marble, when it hit the glass, bent the pane inwards. And in some way, what that did was to stretch the glass a bit. And also the marble was compressed a bit. And that made the hole slightly smaller than the marble. The other possibility is that Colleen has made a mistake. And in fact, the marble did not make the hole. Something else did. But the marble was in the vicinity and therefore was apparently the smoking gun and got the blame. Or maybe the marble didn't penetrate the window in the first place, but left a hole or the marble broke up when it hit the window. Oh, that's a clever answer. That's a clever answer, isn't it? Yeah, we didn't actually say which, which way, which, from which direction the marble was coming, we assumed. Yeah, you're, well, I assumed. You're quite yeah. right. Yeah, the good thinking. Well done, Sherlock. Uh, I've never been accused of that, Chris. I do thank you. Uh, <laughs> moving on to the next question. Uh, it was mentioned a few weeks back on the show by an astronomer that in order for an object to break Earth's gravitational pull, it needs to have a velocity of 11 kilometers a second, which, I mean, if you know your science and that sort of things, um, it's almost 33 times the speed of sound. So what if I was in orbit, says the question, um, what if I was orbiting Earth on the International Space Station where there is zero gravity and I fire off a bullet with a typical velocity of Mach 2 or 660 meters per second? Would it not break the Earth's gravitational pull? There's a couple of contradictions in the question, so let's just clarify this. The reason the International Space Station is orbiting the Earth is exactly the same reason that the Moon is orbiting the Earth and the Earth is orbiting the Sun. It's wrong to say there is no gravity. There's plenty of gravity Ah. because otherwise the International Space Station would go in a straight line away from the Earth and wouldn't come back. The fact that the space station is its about 400 kilometres up, moving about 17,000 kilometres an hour, it's following a curved trajectory around the Earth because the Earth's gravity is accelerating, pulling the space station in all the time. And as the space station is coming in towards the Earth, because it's going so fast, it's coming in a bit, but then the space station moves along a bit. But remember, the Earth's surface is curved. So every time it falls down a bit and goes along a bit, actually the Earth has curved out of the way. So you actually end up with a circle where the object keeps falling towards the Earth but missing. And actually, the first person to point out how this could work was Isaac Newton in his paper in in um, the well, three hundred years ago, and he said, notionally, if I fired a gun, the bullet would come out of the gun, go along a bit and fall a bit, go along a bit and fall a bit, and eventually it would land on the ground. So if I imagine firing the gun really, really hard, I could get to a point where the bullet would go along far enough that by the time it fell down to where the ground was, the ground would have curved out of the way, 
and you'd get an orbit. So that was Isaac Newton's vision. And that's exactly why things remain in orbit now. Now, if you fired a bullet from the International Space Station, your bullet would leave the International Space Station going at the velocity of the space station, because it's already moving, plus the bullet's velocity from the gun. So the bullet would be going faster by the velocity of the bullet than the space station, and this would mean that it could go along a bit further uh, before it fell down by the same proportional amount, so therefore it would be at a higher orbit than the space station. But it would still nonetheless be subject to the Earth's gravity, and the space station, and therefore where the bullet was, is still in the wisps of the Earth's atmosphere. There's a thin atmosphere out there. And as a result of that thin atmosphere, the space station is continuously slowing down a bit. So as a result, they have to boost it up periodically to stop its orbit decaying and it falling back to Earth. The bullet would feel the same sort of retarding force. And so the bullet would orbit for a while, but it would slowly slow down and therefore it would eventually come down to Earth. Well, there we go. Uh, Let's go to Victor in Takai. Victor, good morning. Yeah, hi, Kino, and hi, Chris. Hi, Victor. Uh, I've been trying for a long time to get to the truth behind cell phone towers or cell phone masts and what they, you know, are they a dangerous thing or are they not a dangerous thing? It's very, you know, everything you read on the internet. Um, I, I can't. You can't be sure that you're reading uh, stuff from sort of uh, groups that have vested interests in either having them or not having them. Yes. So I wonder, is there any real science that that says uh, yes, they are definitely bad for you, or no, they are not harmful at all? Hi, Victor. Well, there we go. Great question. We have a lot of people mm. who complain about that. You're right to be asking for reliable information because the problem with the internet as we found with all kinds of fake news and we're having a big problem at the moment with people not having vaccinations for example because they have been told on the internet something about a vaccine that they then think is correct or that they've reasonably justifiably believe it's correct actually it's completely wrong and this changes their view of how vaccines do and don't work and how safe they are and it's led to a mass under vaccination of a whole generation and now in some countries america the uk australia we We've got hundreds of percent increases in the rates of certain infectious diseases. So you've got to be really careful. Measles, yeah. measles foremost amongst them. You've got to be really careful about what you read on, online. So you're right to be sceptical. Now, in terms of these cell phones, first of all, what, what do these towers do? They are communicating between the tower and your handset, your phone. Your phone is using microwaves to send signals back and forth to that base station, which then decodes the signal from the phone and puts it into the phone network sometimes via another microwave link, sometimes via a piece of cable. But here's the reality. The signal coming out of your phone that you're holding against your head is enormously more intense than the signal that's coming out of that cell tower that's that's just about arriving at your phone, especially if you're on the network that I'm on, uh, and it's just about being picked <laughs> up. So the intensity of having a phone about your person and the intensity of the radiation when that phone's next to your head that the phone is producing is way beyond the radiation that any cell phone, so cell phone tower is exposing you to unless you're going to put your head next to the emitter from the tower. So you've got to keep a sense of proportion for a start. That's the first point. Second point Mm -hmm. is that there are lots of other sources of microwaves of a similar sort of frequency all over the place that we're encountering all the time, not just mobile phone signals. The third point here is that as far as we know, there is no evidence that the wavelength of microwaves used in these transmissions between mobile phones and the towers is harmful to our tissues. Scientists have been able to demonstrate a modest heating effect because when these microwaves, in the same way as when you put food into a microwave oven in your kitchen, 
does increase the temperature because the energy is absorbed into the food a bit and that raises the temperature. There is evidence of a heating effect by these microwaves when our body's tissues are exposed to them. But the energy in those waves is not judged to be high enough to break chemical bonds and you need to do that to cause things like cancer. So it's not to say there are not possibly changes going on in your tissues because of a thermal effect or a heating effect or the cells being sensitive in some other way to the microwaves, but there's no evidence that they can cause cancer. Now, the final piece of evidence, which is perhaps the most convincing at the moment, is that we're doing a massive experiment on the scale of the whole planet. There are more mobile phone handsets than there are people on the planet. And the mobile phone companies, because they send people a bill every month, they know how much radiation we're all being exposed to. And therefore, they're able to say with pretty big confidence that we haven't seen, judging by the enormous escalation in usage and therefore exposure to these phone signals, we haven't seen a change in disease following suit. So at the moment, everyone's comfortable to say, well, we can't see a link between the two, because if you'd seen a dramatic increase in diseases in step with an increase in phone use, you'd say the two must be linked because there is a thing called a dose-dependent relationship. And if something causes something to happen, you should see one thing change in step with the other, and we haven't at the moment. And that's not to say we won't in the future, and we have to keep an open mind, we have to keep monitoring this, because it might be that whatever it's going to cause is going to take a lifetime to happen, but at the moment there is no clear relationship between the two, so we're comfortable that we're not doing ourselves at least demonstrably enormous harm in the short term by using these devices or being exposed to the emissions from them. Well, I think, yeah, and there are lots of people who go onto Facebook and they get their news straight off Facebook and then they'll phone in and go, oh, my word, we're all going to die in the next 10 years because of cell phone towers. And then the same people complain because their phones keep dropping. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad we spoke about the facts, at least the facts at our disposal when it comes to this. Let's go to Mark in Penn Hill. Hi there, Mark. Good morning. Hi, hi, Kino. Hi, Chris. Come on. I know that there's a theory that the reason the moon looks bigger when it's close to the horizon is because of seeing it relative to the structures on Earth. But if you put your hand up to obscure the horizon, that effect should then be negated, and it's not. Mm. The problem is, Mark, that uh, your brain, and you are hopefully not stupid, and your brain has already got an idea as to how big something is, so you've already fallen for the illusion, and then you've got to try and shake that illusion when you put your hand up. So, unfortunately, you've already been biased by your prior experience. Mark, thank you very much for that. Uh, Another one, this one just from something I heard the other day. Uh, my son was saying that you know some of the teenagers are now talking about doing sun gazing in the first hour of sunrise, and the the fact that it, it 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 does something to your energy levels. Now, I mean, I didn't know how to respond to that. I said to him, "Well, gazing at the sun at any time probably isn't a very good idea." Um, do you know anything about that? I don't know about specifically what what their motivation is, but um, you're right to say never look at the sun because if you think about it, if you've ever done the thing where you take a magnifying glass and you can focus sunlight say onto a lolly stick or something and you can you can burn your name into a piece of wood you're Mm. you're you're doing that because the light from the sun is being collected by the magnifying glass over a big area of magnifying glass and then focused to one tiny point where the temperature becomes very high and can burn the wood your eye is focusing the light that it collects onto a spot on your retina 
So if you look at the sun, exactly the same thing will happen to the back of your eye as happens to the lolly stick when you hold it under a magnifying glass. And you will burn a hole in the back of your eye. So never look at the sun. Mm. But in terms of what might be the benefits to doing this kind of thing, actually there, there is some science behind this because there are receptors in the back of the eye. These are called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Um, it suffices to say they're cells that are light sensitive but are not involved in directly seeing anything. And those cells connect to your body clock, an area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And they're very sensitive to bright blue light and the kind of light that you see first thing in the morning. And one of the most potent resetting signals that sets up your body clock tells it what the time is and triggers it to then release a whole surge of signals that set your body clock and set the tone and tempo for your day. That those cells are very sensitive to the, to the light at first thing in the morning. So getting a nice strong burst of bright light first thing in the morning can actually be very enlivening and especially very good mm. if your body clock's a bit off whack or you've worked a night shift or you've got jet lag. So actually I'd say that getting up, getting some nice early morning light is a really good idea. Mm. Now, some more questions. Um, I often cycle on my stationary bike after uh, hitting a spliff. I find that it helps keep my heart rate stable. Is there any science behind this? Um, I mean, I think you know what a spliff is. So. Mm. To be honest, um, I'm very nervous of cannabis uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, number mm. one is that it, it does contain a lot of tars. And if you smoke this stuff, those tars do damage your lungs and they damage your lungs at a much accelerated rate compared to tobacco, which is also awful for your lungs. Ah. So you're doing something which is triply awful for your lungs for a start. Second, the chemicals in cannabis do seem to produce irreversible changes in the way that the brain's reward system is wired. And it can therefore have lifelong consequences for the way your brain works, especially if you're exposed at a young age to, to, to these chemicals, and especially if you're using forms of this, this plant, which have been bred to have very high levels of some of these chemicals, which these days they do contain very high levels of those chemicals, there's also a risk that, that they will produce psychotic symptoms because a, a fraction, a significant fraction of users do go on to develop psychotic symptoms. So you have to be really, really careful um, with, with this. The other thing is that it is undoubtedly contributing to obesity. And I know this person's getting on their exercise bike, which is a good thing. You should, you should take exercise. That's a fantastic thing to do. But there is evidence that the, these drugs are contributing to obesity. And in fact, there's a paper that's just come out in the journal eLife by a researcher called Serbi Batani, who's at San Diego State University. And they found that when you get sleep deprived, your body's natural cannabis-like chemicals surge in the blood. And this makes the part of the brain that makes you really like the smells of things become hyperactive so you're much more likely to binge on fatty food now cannabis hijacks that system so you're much more likely to binge on stuff that has got loads of calories in it so as a result you're likely to overeat and put on weight actually now in terms of regulating heart rate i don't know if it's likely to have that effect i can't comment on that but i would say if you're if you're eager to go on the on the exercise bike you want to elevate your heart rate getting a high heart rate is good for you not a low heart rate. So I would say you're probably undoing some of the benefit of the exercise. So I would avoid the spliff and go straight to the exercise bike and have a natural high from that. Well, there you go. And then your resting heart rate will be lower. It will. It's the most important thing, isn't it? Oh, there you go. Um, and then another one here. This one is, we're going to have to think about this one. Um, can the naked scientist please explain why egg whites go from clear to pale white? 
when you whisk them. Yeah. Um, what is egg white? Well, egg white, which is translucent, is a protein. And these proteins are all in long chains and they look like sort of curled up balls of wool. And when you whip up the egg white, remember you also, when you're making meringues, for example, you're putting sugar in as well. But what you're doing is actually making the proteins line up or be pulled out and organised into a very specific shape where previously they were all bundled up randomly and they could let light through okay once you actually start whipping the things you change the configuration of the proteins and once you change the configuration of the proteins you change the way in which they interact with light so instead of light going straight through they now start to reflect back all of the different colours of light and when you see all the different colours of light reflected back at you in the same way as a white piece of paper looks white because all the different colours of light are coming back that's what the egg white does. Aha, uh-huh. and moving on, there's more. This one asks, why are men more prone to colour blindness than women? One in 12 versus one in 200, respectively. Yeah, this is because the gene which is most commonly causing colour blindness in men, a red-green colour blindness gene, is on the X chromosome. And the X chromosome, women have two of, and men have only one, because women are XX. Men are X, Y. What this means is that if you have two copies of a chromosome, in women, when the baby is developing, one of the X chromosomes is randomly turned off. That means that in a proportion of the cells in your retina, you'll have turned off the dodgy one and left the one with the healthy copy of the gene working so you don't have colour blindness. If you're a man and you have only one X chromosome, you can't turn one X chromosome off. You need it. So it has to be on all the time, everywhere. And so every cell in your retina has a working copy of that X chromosome carrying the gene that causes colour blindness. So therefore, every single one of the cells in your retina that sees those colours will be using that gene. It has no choice. And therefore, you are obliged to get colour blindness. The likelihood of a woman inheriting an X chromosome from her mum and an X chromosome from her dad that carries a dodgy copy of the gene on both chromosomes is obviously much more remote than the chance of a man inheriting an X chromosome from his mum that, that carries that particular mutation so therefore the likelihood is much higher because this is a so-called x-linked disease or x-linked condition that the man will get it but the woman will be relatively protected now when a swimming pool's water goes brown is the air above it safe to inhale usually yeah i mean there's a range of reasons why a swimming pool will go brown but what is that brown color that brown color is algae a swimming pool is a lovely stew pot for algae which are microscopic plants to grow in those plants arrive via the air they land in the water and fertilized by the various micronutrients bits of you from left behind when you last swam in the pool uh, nitrogen sources from people peeing in the pool those can all be used by these plants which harness the sun's energy because they're photosynthesizing to produce these particles when they die, probably because people have put lots of chlorine in the pool, they settle to the bottom and they form that brown sludge and then they're overgrown by other algae. So the algae are staying in the water. They're plants or microscopic plants. They're not coming out into the air. So unless there's something really horrible or you've got blue-green algae, which is a cyanobacteria, different thing entirely, you're probably absolutely fine with your pool. Just clean it. Well, there we go. And I've got Howard in Mulnerton. Howard, good morning. Morning there, prof- uh, pro- Professor. I just want to know... Bread, white bread or most breads we know are not healthy for us. What I want to know is if we toast it, are any of the bad elements taken out of it? Is toast healthier than bread or is it the same thing? Tastes great, doesn't it? I love toast, especially on a cold day. Um, (laughs) 
toast and bread and everything else not necessarily bad for you. What is bad for you is too much of anything. And remember that bread, especially bread that's that's a highly refined white bread, there's a lot of easily accessible energy in there. It's starch. Your body's very good at breaking down starch very, very quickly to liberate the molecule that starch is made from, and that's glucose. So you eat some bread, you very quickly turn it into a big surge of sugar in the bloodstream. That surge of sugar then produces a big surge of the hormone insulin, which reigns in the sugar, turns it all into fat, and then you're hungry again. So it's not a good source of energy that will keep you full and feeling full and happy for a long time so the best thing to do is to have some toast but turn it into soldiers and have it with an egg because eggs got lots of protein in it protein's more complicated to break down it gives you a slow trickle of energy over a long period of time and has been scientifically proven to stave off hunger so you stay full for longer and you don't overeat wonderful stuff kyle i um a problem with iron ore and manganese exports kyle just very quickly ask the question and let's see if chris can very quickly answer that as well Hi, Chris. So in Solvana, we have uh, the iron ore export terminals over here, and recently they've been exporting manganese as well. And there's an immense amount of dust that gets generated from it, which which pollutes the entire surrounding areas. But obviously, we breathe in iron ore and manganese dust as well. I just want to know if there's any health effects that we need to consider. Uh, I don't know specifically about the conditions you're referring to, but certainly if you breathe in any foreign body or foreign material in sufficient quantities it will deposit in the lungs there is a natural cleaning process in the lungs where tiny microscopic hairs called cilia beat and produce currents in mucus that cover the lung and help to sweep this stuff out but you can overwhelm that system so that the amount of of material that's in the lung is greater than can be removed at any moment in time. So you have a high build-up. It can then end up in the lymph nodes. It can end up in other parts of the body. And that may have health consequences because it can cause irritation, it can cause inflammation, and that inflammation can cause lung damage, and you get conditions called silicosis. So I think it's, it's certainly pertinent to ask the question. I would certainly ask someone to look at this from an air quality perspective because there may all be other things yep. that are in the air as well and it would be worth looking into that because you're quite right to question it. Anything breathed in from outside can have a health consequence and is better not done. As a matter of fact, it's something, Carl, we need to look at on the show um, yep. and we should Indeed. maybe speak to the authorities in the area. So thank you very much for asking the question. Chris, always a privilege having you on. You must have a good one and uh, let me already apologise for your loss tomorrow oh, but I'm I sure that was we'll coming. make I up for it coming. next Friday. <laughs> Bye, Kino. <laughs> Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.